Uh, continuing our series of interviews to, to uh, mark the centenary of Angarda Siakona, and we have been talking to various um, former members of Angarda Siakona in this particular region and our next guest many of you will know well for various reasons and remember well during his Garda career he ended up as Chief Superintendent in the Sligo Leitrim Division he's a native of Rathmullen in Donegal uh, Jim Sheridan you're very welcome to Thank studio. You very much, Niall. And, and thanks, thanks for here. thanks for joining us and it's it's it really it's hard for me to believe it's 20 years since you retired that's it 20, 20 years. years which is quite incredible um so how and why did you join Angarda Sheikhan and Jim? Well, I suppose it was fate, really. I was born in that little village that you mentioned, Rathmullen in County Donegal, in uh, 1944. And uh, I was very, lived very close to the Garda station, two doors, in fact, away from the Garda station. So I saw the guards every day. They looked great in their uniforms and their shiny buttons for a young fella. So I said to myself, maybe that's a job for me. But it was only maybe at that stage. So anyway, at some stage, uh, as I was growing up, the guards were getting their dinners from my grandmother and uh, had a relationship with them all. There was one in three in that station at the time. Now there's nobody in it, like at other stations. But it's not closed officially. So anyway, I also had a very good school friend, Paddy McLean, and his father was a local guard. And uh, he took us off every Sunday, which was a great thing to be going for a walk with the guard uh, out through the woods and pointing out this was an oak tree and this was an, 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 an alder tree and this was some sort of a tree and this was a bush, etc., etc. So I had great connections with the guards. And as it turned out, two of his family joined the guards, uh, Tony and Hugh. I hope they're happy both are dead. They both were inspectors. So that was the main reason that I joined the guards. Now, at mm. the time that I was thinking about joining the guards uh, and I matured that, little bit, I suppose it's fair to say I had my eye on two jobs. One was a guard and the other was a psychiatric nurse. Okay. And the big difference was that psychiatric nurse meant that I'd be based in Letterkenny. And that was something that was uh, saying to me, well, I'd never been away from home apart from once at a football match in Dublin prior to joining the guards. So and you didn't want to leave Donegal at all? No, I didn't want Donegal. still very close to oh, my heart. I know to that. So that was, eventually I went to the guards and my mother's prayers were answered. Your mother's prayers. And so the shiny buttons won out in the well, edge. Well, you could say that. You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then it was, was it off to Temple Moor? At that stage, yes, yeah. off, off to Temple Moor. And, and, Which uh, for somebody who was never out of uh, County Donegal, bar a match again, that was a bit of right, a... That's right, it was. Getting on a train even and going to Dublin and getting another train down to Cork and getting off in Temple Moor. And I saw two young men in that who, who are Eamon McGinley and Tober Curry was one of them. He was heading the same direction and Hugh Brennan and Monaghan was the other. They were both from Donegal but I never saw them until that. But Eamon McGinley, as it turned out, was in the same intake as I was in. Yeah. So we were both going to the same place and, uh, you know, that was in 19, uh, 1964, yeah, 64. Yeah. Right, OK. And Templemore. Your, mem- your memories of Templemore, was it? Oh, Templemore was good. Uh, it was good. Uh, talking to somebody recently about it, they were suggesting that, you know, it was fairly... Uh, discipline was tight in it, there's no doubt about that. But having said that, I'll tell you one story about it that didn't endear me to the man that was pulling me for the little misdemeanour that occurred there. Uh, I, I, we, we, I was in a room with Sean Feely and Pat Keown and uh, we did our job. We cleaned the room as we were supposed to do, and everything was great. And uh, in in those place, in, the, in those in that particular place, like you had uh, 
routine. The routine was be up in the yeah. morning, be for your breakfast at 8 o'clock, be on the square at 9 o'clock ready for parade and inspection. Everything was inspected, your uniform and everything else. And then you went off to your classes for the day and just finished for your lunch and all the rest. But one day, you see, they used to call kit inspection. And a kit inspection meant that everybody had ed up the rooms and everybody was supposed to have a kit. So much of this and so many of that and so many of the other things. And shoes was one of them, right? We were unfortunate in that our room was the last room in the corridor. Now, there would be, I suppose, they were afraid that kit would be thrown from one room to the other. If you were short something, you'd throw it into the fill next door. But in our case, it was slightly different. We weren't in the door and had a few little bits of kit out, shirts and things like that and trousers and whatnot. And the next thing, we got a tension. And in comes this sergeant and an inspector. And I was just in the process of taking a brand new pair of shoes out from under my bed where they had been in a drawer under the bed. That was the way the beds were built. So in any event... uh, they looked at me and they looked at the shoes and there was dust on them. Definitely there was dust on them. They were the pair of shoes that I was going to wear during my passing out period. So they were new and they were never worn at all. So uh, I got serious abuse from about it. Serious abuse. Now, as it turned out, that was just prior to leaving now Templemore. For having dust on your yes, shoes? Yes, exactly. And and that was it. I was almost, I almost was sacked. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I was, they were going to call me to task in a big way. But as it turned out, sanity prevailed. But I wasn't impressed now because I knew what was in my mind. But they obviously thought there was something that was being disrespectful by having dust in the shoes. But that was Templemore. But I, I got through yeah. Templemore very well. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was fit. I enjoyed playing football and I enjoyed out square bashing and I enjoyed the gymnasium. So I had no problems with Templemore. All right. Okay. Well, we'll come to the, the football in a moment. So where was your first posting then, Jim? My first posting was to. Uh, Mohol in County Leitrim and with all due respects to all the Leitrim people I had to look on the map where Mohol was I knew Carrigan Shannon was the principal town in Leitrim but I wasn't sure where Mohol was so I saw where it was anyway and it was there I went there in October of uh, yeah 64 really I went to Tobol in 64 and I I was there for uh, nine months I left there for Carrigan Shannon now just a few things about Mohol that are important Um, I left for Carrigan Shannon in uh, 1965 yeah 65 so anyway in Mohol I was coming in in the patrol car collected from the train in Drummond and uh, two guards were in the patrol car uh, and I won't name the two guards one of them is dead and the other is a very good friend of mine to this day but they were talking to one another and coming into Mohol one said to the other we'll have to do something in this town about the parking and I know, knew well that was for the young fellow in the back that to, to give him a bit of a G up to deal with the parking in Mohol I drove down that town many a, many a day years afterwards as a superintendent assistant in Carrigan Shannon and as a chief in Sligo and parking hadn't changed much although Mohol was a town funny that was a great business town in those yeah. days a very busy town yeah. and it was a good town but the few things I might mention to, about Mohol to you which is, is important really yeah. in those days I know you might be talking about later on but in those days um, we uh, what would I say we were working 24-7 really we were on call 24-7 you had two days off monthly leave they called it so you worked every day at the behest of the sergeant and there was no such thing you had to apply in writing for uh a pass to get off your 48 hours, 2 by 24, yeah. And uh, I remember in Mohol, uh, 
I was there for four or five months, loved it, loved it, loved the town, loved the people, got on great with the community, no problem, still talk to people back in that town this day, I believe it or not. I ring people in Mohol and out in the village next to it called Clune at least yeah. once a month. And, would you? Uh, but, and they did remember you, they Oh, would. well, well, yeah. well, some for the wrong reasons, but some <laughs> for the right reasons. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I was coming back from the Galway races. I had, it's unfair temporarily to the Galway races. We used to do uh, three or four days there during July, August, and uh, I was coming back, having worked the full day in Galway at the races. Yeah. And uh, I was walking down the town in Civis, uh, thinking about going to the dance that night in the local hall. Uh, and I wasn't thinking about working because I had the work, the day's work done. The sergeant met me coming up the street and he said, oh, good evening, Jim, how are you? It's great to see you back. And I said, good evening, sergeant, how are you? And he said, there's a dance on tonight from 10 to 2. And he says, I want you to do duty at it. And 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 I, you couldn't say no, but I wasn't thinking about uh, going to the dance to do duty I was thinking of going to the dance, maybe looking for some girl. But anyway, it didn't work out that way. That's the, but that was the way it was. You yeah. just did what you were told. You did what you were told and you didn't argue. But there okay. were people in Mohol and I still yeah. have contact with them. And were you always in northwest stations? You were from Mohol to Carrick and Shannon? Yes, to, to Clune and Drummond. To Clune and Drummond. Right. So it was always this general area you were Well, it was in the division of Sligo Leitrim, so that meant, meant that I, I stayed there unless unless that I was, uh, what do they say, yeah, when I was promoted, I left I left the division. I was I was away then, but it was in the northwest until I, I was in Pier Street in in Dublin I, as a as an inspector, yeah. and and uh, then I, I, I that was only all in the Kerry and Shannon district. I did a little work on the border, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I was I was uh, and I, stay, I was super I was a super in Temple Moore in the Garda College. So, yeah. so um, that took me out of the out of the division. Right. Was, okay. Was, so but for for most of your career, correct me if I'm wrong, yes. you were in Sligo, isn't that right? As a superintendent and then chief superintendent. Well, I went to Sligo Town as a superintendent in. Uh, what did I get it right now? I was I was an inspector in eighty three, nineteen ninety. Yeah. I went to I was in Sligo as an inspector to, as well, but it was transferred then on on promotion to Pier Street. A uh, few months I was there temporarily as an inspector, and then I was in Pier Street for a year, and then back to Sligo. So I came back to Sligo as an inspector, and uh, I was promoted there in Sligo to chief or to superintendent in 1990. Yeah. So it's right to say that most of my my Career uh, from in inspector Sligo. on, I was in yeah. Sligo most of the time, apart from Manor Hamilton. You always lived where you served, and I know you feel that's important as well. That's an yes, important I do. part of policing. Yes. That. I do. The guardy live in the community. Yes, I think they should because basically yeah. it's very important. Just to give you an idea, but living where you're, where you're, the smallest village town that I was in in Leitrim was Clune. Yeah, Clune a small little village. You probably know it's up close by the yeah, Longford border. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I went there in 1960, 65. Yeah, I went there out and no, I had a short, I had a short stint in Carrigan Shannon. I think this is important to tell you this. I had a short stint in Carrigan Shannon when I left Mohol. I left Mohol in uh, October yeah. of of. Uh, 65, and I, and I disappeared to Carrigan Shannon. And I left Carrigan Shannon in December of 65. There was only three months in it. So it begs the question, what did I do wrong when they threw me out of Carrigan Shannon? <laughs> well, it's amazing too, because a very simple thing happened. I didn't want to go to Carrigan Shannon because I was I was uh, stationed in Mohol and I wanted to stay there. I was happy there. But lo and behold, um, there was a vacancy came up for Clune. And uh, I, I see... As a as a guard in those days, you always served a certain amount of time in the yeah. district headquarters. So I had to go to Carrick and Shannon at some stage where the superintendent was and the inspector was and where there was 24 hour everything. To get the so, experience, So yeah. anyway, I had to get the experience. So one of the boys in Carrick and Shannon, who I won't name, 
uh, was being earmarked to go to Clune. He came direct to the depot from the depot to Carrick and Shannon, and there was two of them actually. And so one of those fellas was going to go to Clune. I was never going to be sent back there at that short stage. Yeah. So I went up and knocked on the superintendent's door, which I often think back of it was a big thing to do in 1965 or 66, and uh, I put my case to him. And I remember as well, I said, I'd like to be transferred to Clune, guard so-and-so, it'll not suit him to go because he's thinking of getting married and he'd want to stay in a good town, you know, a busy mm-hmm. town. And his answer to me was, what an under God would you go to a place like that for? And and I said, well, this reason, I said, I worked out in Mohol, which is only three or four miles away. I said, I know the sergeant there and I know the guard there, who was Joe Tormey, who's living in Boyle, and Tom McDermott was the sergeant. And I said, in Mohol at the time, you see, we had a detective sergeant and a detective guard, patrol car as well. We had, and we had a district patrol car. So we used to do a lot of work around Clune. So I knew that I'd settle in Clune like a shot. So mm. lo and behold, sanity prevailed, which was unusual <laughs> in those days. And off to, off I went to Clune. And the uh, best years of my life were spent on it. All right, OK. Um, so you're you're knocking on the superintendent's door, paid pay dividends. Well, um, I did anyway. I did. And I, I, I was I, yeah, I, I was happy. And I mean, Clune has a lot of memories for me. It'll only take me a few minutes to tell you them. Yeah, yeah. I and got married when I was in Clune. And yep. that, was, that was a big thing. Uh, I met my late wife uh, in... in, in uh, and at a dance in Beltorbet, Johnny McAvoy was 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 the attraction there, and I, I never was in Beltorbet in my life. But my colleague Joe Tarmy forced me to go to the dance, and I did, and I met Patricia, and uh, that was in '66. And uh, the rest history. Two years later, we kept history. going out, and we're married in '88, and married out of Clune, and bought a house in Clune to stay in Clune. And I must say, on record here, that had had that came through properly, it didn't, because the lady who sold the house wanted out of the deal. We let her out of it because she didn't want to go where she wanted to go. And basically, we had to move for accommodation reasons. And I brought Patricia. <coughs> excuse me. I bought Patricia. Back <coughs> to Clune. Yeah. To uh, <coughs> excuse me, man. All right, yeah. This morning. Well, I, yeah. I'll, I'll read out some of the comments, uh, and we'll come to them in a moment. A, a listener rang in to say had dealings with Jim Sheridan over the years. He was always a gentleman, and up in harps. Uh, they're saying, <laughs> and someone else is just great to hear Jim Sheridan on Ocean FM this morning. Really interesting stories. The only man ever to captain Finn Harps to an FA Cup from a massive Finn Harps fan, a Kieran. We, we'll get to Harps in a moment, but... You have to get back to... Where, yeah, where, Clune, you're in Clune. Clune. And, and you met right. Patricia. So, so I, I, Patricia was a my old lady and a proud one, but she lived in Cavan because the family had moved over there because of her father's job. And uh, basically, combination was scarce in the yeah. rural Ireland in those days. So we got this big two-storey house out in the country and it was good modern con house and all the rest of it, but it was a very lonely location. And I thought about it. I actually was looking at it three weeks ago about English people out to show them where we lived first. And they couldn't believe it that Patricia ever lived there on her own. And I was in duty everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she did, but she had great neighbours now, you see. That was the thing yeah. about it. And then I used to bring her a certain place. So she settled in Clune. There's another one for you too, which is definitely very important in relation to... Um, well, in, in, in relation to the times that are in it, we moved then from that house down along the road to a house that was close to other houses. So we were along the road between Clune and Mohol, and we were very happy there. And, uh, you know, it was... it was 
One night I got a call knock on the door at about five to eight and it was from a motorist telling me that uh, there was a row up the road. And at that stage in the guards, we had no we had no nothing. We had no walkie-talkies. All you had was this baton, and the best place for that was in the pocket, and keep it there if you could. But having said that, I decided I was expecting the patrol car from Carrigan Shannon because I was working in that car that particular evening or that night, and this was five past eight or ten past, so I was expecting him in five minutes or so. So I went up to the row to set, try and settle it up. And uh, as I went up, I realised what was going on. And there was about eight or nine in the road, men and women, fighting among themselves. But when I appeared, and I knew them, and they knew me too, I became the, 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 the brunt of their uh, anger, to a degree, only to a degree now. But there was one or two of them fairly sane, and we got them all into the car and back home where they were going. And, and that, but that, that point, that highlights, I hope, the yeah. fact that basically it wasn't a great place to be without any backup. Nobody in those villages had a phone, apart yeah. from the guard of the station, yeah. the priest, and we had no doctor. OK, different times. But when you, I mean, obviously Sligo was different because Sligo was a busy place. What are your memories of Sligo? And like you went on to become inspector, superintendent, Chief Superintendent, so you were at the coalface for many, many um, memorable incidents in the I area was. down the years. I was. Well, it's true to say this, and I'll preface further remarks in relation to Sligo by saying one thing, and it applies to everywhere that I served. I had great contact with communities everywhere, particularly yeah. in the smaller areas where you had plenty of time to have contact with them. And I had great contact within the force with many, many great people. And I want to put on record the fact that they were great. Yeah. And they definitely uh, made my job a lot easier. We had great f- people working in Sligo, and all any time I ever worked in it, we had great people working there. As guards, okay. sergeants, and office staff, you name it, I'm indebted to them all and indebted to the communities of those places that I served. Okay, so what, what sticks out in your memory in Sligo? What, what particular Well, incidents? there was a few very bad incidents there while I was there, all right. And basically, um, you know, I, I think about... Uh, Mountbatten, uh, the Lord of Mercy and the Man and the people that were murdered in Mullochmore. I was there on the periphery of that because it was a sergeant in in-service training at the time and basically I wouldn't be a joint involved in operational policing. But I remember being out there that evening helping people to pick up bits of this boat and it was sad to, to see what happened to the boat and you just you, and all you could think of was what happened to the people that were in that boat. And uh, that was Mountbatten himself, the Lady Dowager, Nat, Nat young Nicholas Natchbull and the Paul Maxwell, the yeah. boatman. That was sad. Now, the second thing, that was very, very sad. And the second thing we had then was we had, um, well, we had Don Tidy in and, and, and 1993. And, yeah. and while that, that wasn't in Sligo, I had a very direct involvement in that because I was an inspector in Pier Street at that stage, having been sent there from Sligo. And uh, lo and behold, I got a call one evening when I was at home. You're not to come back up. I was on rest days. You're not to come back up again. You're to go to Balnamore on Monday morning or whatever morning it was. And, and we'll be briefed when you get there. So I was there on that mountain when that fellow was shot. But I was miles away. We were divided into groups, right? In my group, there was... Uh, well, I, I, there was a, a sergeant from Templemore plus 10 students, Right, yeah. and as well as that, there was a detective sergeant and two detective guardie, and there was an army platoon or whatever they were, a, a, an officer and ten, and I was in charge of that group. I can still remember my call sign was Rudolph Six, and I was on that mountain miles away, admittedly, when I heard the shots been fired, and it was late in the evening, and that was on the seventeenth of uh, December 
of uh, 73 yeah 83 83 yeah, yeah. so so um it was it was we, I, I knew it wasn't a shotgun and and, and uh, just getting dark so we had to come back off the mountain and back and it was only when we got back to the base that we realized what had happened so that was one and the third one was the the shooting of of Annie and Anne Gallagher in Sligo General Hospital and uh enough said to say that I have memories of those two young girl and her mother lying in the back of a car dead yeah, it was an incredibly, incredibly sad incident and lots of people remember it. W- well done, Jim, says this person, a great servant of the Garda and of Finn Harps and a proud Donegal man as well. Uh, someone else reminds us that uh, Jim spelled, spent a while in Drumcairn. Uh, well, now, I don't know if it was officially or unofficial, or were you going no, dancing I, in Drumcairn? It, it, it was very official, like, and I'm glad that I've been reminded of that because I have to get back up to North Leitrim. I talk a lot about South Leitrim. Yeah. Uh, when I went, I had to leave Drummond for a very simple reason, accommodation. One day, the same superintendent that allowed me out to Clune in the first place arrived out one day and he said, would you go to Drummond? And I said, well, I'm very happy here. And he said, well, you could you'd have a house there and there's a guard house there. And Mick Kelly, he said, has been transferred to the traffic corps in Sligo and there's a vacancy there. Yeah. So I thought about it and thought about it, but eventually I went to Drummond and uh, I, I I cried leaving Clune both position myself. But anyway, went mm. to Drummond and got on great in Drummond. And the sergeant's wife at the time was Tony Hines, his wife, the Lord of Merton, and both are both dead. She said to me, you should study. And I said, what would it be studying for? And she says, the sergeant's exam. And I said, I don't want to be a sergeant. This is true. Yeah. And she said, she said, well, she said, maybe later on in life you might want to be a sergeant. So I said, no, I'm happy enough. And, and that's the way it was. But within, within what would I say, within weeks, I said, maybe she has a point. So I had time in my hands there because I was my own boss and there's nobody in it but myself. So basically, uh, Tony was my boss, but he was in Ruski. Yeah. So I, uh, I studied, passed exam in 75, around maybe March, uh, did an interview May or June 75 and I was a sergeant on the border in August 75 and, and I'd wanted it like a hole in the head to be blunt about it <laughs> okay. I I, it's amazing how many people still remember you and Drumcairn and, and but anyway of, there's, there's yeah. one very important thing about Drumcairn why did he get to Drumcairn I got to Drumcairn because they offered me accommodation for my family they couldn't get me out of the house you see in Drummond unless they give me alternative accommodation that was yeah. the rules of the day so they said if, now, these, these were very fine people. The chief came to me and he said, look, if you occupy the married quarters in Drumcairn for two years, <coughs> he said, we'll transfer you back from the border to Drumcairn, but before that, we'll transfer you to Dara, which yeah. is only five miles from Drumcairn. So he said he was having a good right of... Uh, because basically what he was saying was, you'll be Dara as a permanent sergeant, but you're living in Drumcairn, and if anything happens, you can help them there too. One thing about Drumcairn, and this is a lot about community... Yeah, take your time, Jim. When I went to Drumcairn, um, <laughs> the shift, the, the CAE probably shifted the, the furniture up, the bits that I had from Drummond to Drumcairn. The house in Drumcairn was an old house, yeah. and uh, but it meant we got the family together again. That was important as all. I had two sons at that stage, and that's the two sons that I have to this day, thanks be to God. One is now 50, and the other fellow is 48. And uh, they were coming three and Jim was the baby and he was a few months and I can remember well getting out of the car and this lady coming across the road yeah she welcomed me to Drumcairn and said 
If you need any food here this evening, don't be cooking in there. I'm making dinner for you. And that was Rose Keane. And Rose Keane, we're a great friend, and still yeah. is. I, I'm going to have to ask you about the, the football. There's lots and lots of texts coming in. What an interesting, what a great interesting guest this morning. A listener could listen to you all day. Uh, your old friend Eddie McHale called in saying it was great to work with Jim. He was a great man. I have to ask you about Finn Harps and the soccer. And I'm old enough to remember... Um, I, and I've told Jim this before down the years because I know him a long time. I remember sitting in the back of a, of a Wolseley. You remember the Wolseley, a brown <laughs> Wolseley, sitting in the back seat. And the legendary Jim Sheridan was sitting in the front seat with his football shorts on him. He was after playing a, a Longford Town match. But of course, he went on to greater things than Longford Town. Uh, Finn Harps and, and a, you were a cup winner in 74, Jim, isn't that yeah, right? Yeah, I was. I spent a few years with Longford Town. Yeah. I did. Loved every one of them. I think I think about the people that were with Longford Town at the time, time then, the, the people who were at head of Longford Town, the likes of Paddy Clammy, Paddy Clabby and Gerard Connolly and people like that. I think about the Flaherty's, I think about Jimmy Savage, I think about Hookie O'Connor. So I had a few great years there. I think it was one year I was with them, but having said that, with the Longford Senior League and we had great times there. So after that, I, I went back playing junior football for Swilly Rovers and Remelton and we won the FA Junior Cup in 1968. And yeah. uh, we uh, after that, uh, two teams wanted to sign me. One was Dundalk, another was uh, Finn Harps. Now, Dundalk were an established team in the League of Ireland. Finn Harps were just in its infancy. It was only, this was 1970 at this stage. And uh, no, sorry, it wasn't. It was 1968. Yeah. So anyway, uh, St. Pat's said, sorry, yeah, St. Pat's said, uh, if you sign for us, you're in the team on Sunday. And the problem with Dundalk was Dundalk centre half was the manager and he was Alan Fox and I wouldn't be in the team because he was the boss. He, <laughs> he wasn't was, going to make So way. I said, I'll go to Pats. So I went to Pats yeah. for three years and Patsy then brought Finn Harps into the league. I'd have known Finn Harp, Patsy very well personally because we played junior soccer in Donegal for years on the same team, Rathmullen Celtic, which my father managed. Yeah. So it was a take, it was a sort of accepted that I would join Finn Harps. But St. Pat's had been very good to me and, and given me my first chance to win amateur international caps and things like that. So, And all the pre-season friendlies in 1969, I played for Finn Harps, but with the blessing of St. Pat's. But when it came to signing for the years, I didn't. I, I, give, I said to Pat's, I'll give you one year and at 70, I'm going to Finn Harps. So 1970, I went to Finn Harps. Yeah, and four years later was the pinnacle, 1974. You were the captain of that team, isn't was, that right? Yeah, that won the FAI Cup. <laughs> I don't know why Patsy made me the captain, but it was the captain for thirteen years. Well, I can understand years. why he'd make you captain, but, but, Jim. But, but, but anyway, but anyway, uh, yeah, I was, and it was a great. It was the only oh, fortunate, an unusual thing happened. Believe it or not, at that stage I was in Drummond, and and uh, the morning, Friday morning, uh, it was during the troubles and all the rest of it. Friday morning, the post office in Drummond was robbed by an armed gang, and I was the only guard that was in it. And I was thinking to myself, will I ever get to Dublin on, on, on for Sunday for this? But anyway, the, the, all the troops rallied round. I don't think anybody was ever caught for this robbery. But anyway, I was in Dublin. I went on the Saturday and I was in Dublin. And it was a great occasion. Uh, I was very proud to be there. Brings back great memories. Of course it does. And to my knowledge, Finn Harps have never won the Cup since, have they? No, unfortunately, they should have won it since, but they didn't. Yeah. But that's the way it was. And we had great celebrations in Donegal, I must say. Great celebrations. Yeah. And, and, and I have great affinity with Harps. I still talk oh, to Patsy very regularly. Yeah. In fact, and you're, st- you're still a legend, as, as people are reminding us well, this morning. I don't morning. know, but I talked to... 
I was talking to Patsy three weeks ago and I was talking to Jerry Murray two days ago. I rang Patsy, but Jerry Murray rang me, so he was the goalkeeper in that team. And I've still great contact with all those fellas who are mostly dairy fellas. Yeah. I want to ask you, we could talk to you all, did you? And we'll have to get you in again. I want to ask you a final question, which comes in from a listener, which I suppose is a very interesting, or hopefully is a very interesting summation of, of your career. This listener simply wants to know, would Jim go back again to the guards if he could do it all again? Yes. There's yes. no hesitation in saying no, that. because we're a great job. And I don't care what how things have changed. I could talk to you all day about the changes. I could talk to you all day about what people are talking about now that should be happening. Uh, but I would go back to the guards tomorrow because it's a great job. It's a great experience. There's great people in it. You make great friends. It gives you an opportunity to work with the community. And it gives you an opportunity to be, when you leave the guards, you know, you're, you're happy with it. Just one yeah. thing too. I, mm. After I retired, a man came down to me one day and this is the truest word ever I will say. He said to me, you're, congratulations on your retirement. He said, you retired yesterday. This was a man from Sligo, lived in Ross's Point. He says, how does it feel today, he says, to be relatively a nobody? And I said to him, well, he said, yesterday, he said, you had a lot of authority and you had a lot of power. You were the chief superintendent in charge of these two districts, or Sligo and Leitrim division. And I said, it feels great. I said, because I says, I haven't changed one bit from the young fellow that left Rathmullen at 19. Uh, Jim Sheridan, you were always a gentleman. I've had many dealings with you down the years and you were always a gentleman to deal with and that's exactly what people are saying this morning. Eugene McHale has called in to say, he, he, the comment he makes, Jim Sheridan was one of the greatest men that ever wore the Garda uniform. So I don't think there can be any more praise than that. Uh, Jim, to your career this morning. Maybe it's a wee bit over the top, but I did my best. you certainly done that. Uh, Superintendent uh, Mandy is with us as well, Mandy Gaynor. Mandy, did you want to say just a, a quick few words about the ongoing events surrounding the centenary? Yeah, again, um, Niall, I'd just like to thank um, Jim for coming in and doing this interview as part of our um, centenary commemoration series uh, today. And I'm just, again, I'm just sitting here in awe listening to his stories and seeing him actually getting quite emotional as he tells some of them. Um, I suppose during the course of the centenary celebrations and commemorations, uh, one one highlight for me has actually been meeting all the retired members because I wouldn't have, have had cause to meet them. I'm only in Sligo two years. So in the course of arranging these interviews and arranging certain um, events that are ongoing, I've met lots of them. And I have to say, you know, I've really, really enjoyed um, engaging with them and hearing all their stories. Yeah. And uh, such a fine, fine uh, group of men and women, um, the retired members from this division. I really have to have to put that on the record. They're a wonderful group of people and I've really enjoyed listening to their stories and getting to know them. And they've all treated me very well as well. Um, I suppose uh, the exhibition, uh, Nile is ongoing, our Garda Centenary exhibition. Um, there was thousands of old archived Garda photos digitised as part of the centenary commemorations. So yeah. we have a fantastic exhibition on display down at Sligo City Hall um, and it's ongoing until Friday is the last day there. Um, <clears throat> last Wednesday we had a lovely presentation from a retired guard, Mick O'Connor, um, about the history of Angarda Siakana and it was very well attended. It was launched by um, the Mayor, Councillor Tom McSharry and I'd like to 
thank them for hosting the exhibition in the City Hall, a fabulous building and very fitting venue for our exhibition. And I understand there's been lots of footfall and school visits and visitors and tourists popping in and out to, to see the exhibition. So I'd encourage everybody to go in. It finishes on Friday. Um, last night we were there. We had a lovely historical talk again last night from Superintendent Paul Marr. Um, he's the head of the Garda Historical Society. Again, it was a very well attended event and it went off very well. So yeah, the commemorations are going very well, yeah. Nile. And um, and again, I know Jim uh, is our last guest um, in this series of interviews. Yeah. We started off oh I, what a month ago month with ago uh, Chief Superintendent um, Aidan Glacken, yeah. and it's nice to finish off with retired Superintendent Jim Sheridan. So thanks very much, Nile. All right, okay, and we'll put up the interview with Jim on podcast uh, later because a lot of people um, ha- can associate with so many things. And we didn't get around to your car playing or your love for Celtic or Liverpool or anything no, like that, no, Jim. But nor the period of time I spent in Dublin, which would definitely be worth listening to. Okay, well, we'll have to get Jim back in. Jim, as ever, thanks. It's good to look, see you looking so well, and thanks for coming in uh, this morning. Appreciate uh, Jim that. Sheridan. Thank you, Nell. Just one thing I'll say is this. I just want to thank all those people that interacted with and all those places I worked with because they were real ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.